You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What is up, good people? Thank you so much for tuning in to this very special episode of the podcast. I recorded this one a few weeks ago. I was actually in the Stringjoy factory when I did it. I was in Scott's office. I'd kicked him out for a little while so I could talk to my new buddy, Mr. Chris Shiflett. This was a great conversation. I had already spoken to him the week prior on the Chasing Tone podcast, which I still do if you have not listened to that. I do the Chasing Tone podcast every week with my friend Brian Wampler and my other friend Richard Oliver, and it is a great time. We do it a lot differently than this podcast. This podcast is, as you're aware, interview-based, and that one is more just three guys horsing around, sort of talking about guitars, mostly talking about whatever just happens to come out of our mouths. And that being the case, we don't usually have guests on that podcast. But when Chris's people hit us up, we, of course, jumped at the opportunity. And I, of course, requested him to come on this show. So we came on. He wasn't expecting to see my face again because I didn't get a chance to tell him that, hey, I'll be talking to you individually in a week. But we discussed that a little bit in the beginning of the podcast. We have a great conversation. It's really, really, really enjoyable. He is a real treat of a human being. It was really cool to dig in and see how he got involved with the Foo Fighters in the first place. I've been a big fan of Chris's for a long time, both his musical endeavors and of his podcast, Walking the Floor. In fact, I said it a few times, but he did an interview with Merle Haggard that is just one of my favorite conversations of all time, and we talk about it a little bit in this podcast. It's just so good. You have to check it out. Please check that out. Walking the Floor podcast is phenomenal. Okay, just a touch of business to get out of the way, and then we will leap right into this podcast. So, first of all, I said this last week on the intro, but if you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, Stringjoy is now available at Sweetwater. That's right. It's been a long time coming. They've been a partner of the podcast for a long time, and now Stringjoy, which I am a partner in, if you're not aware, some people are still not aware of that. There's a whole episode on it last time Scott came on. I won't bore you with the details, but I've been a partner in that company for a very long time. And if you buy anything from Stringjoy, that directly helps me out as well. So please do that if you can. Anyway, we are at Sweetwater now. So if you are making a purchase, you can throw a set of Stringjoy strings in there and it'll ship along at no extra cost. You can request our strings to be on your guitars. It's really a great great situation. They've been extremely supportive. The whole team was really, really excited to have us on board there. And they don't make a habit of carrying new string brands, really. They will occasionally pick up a new pedal brand here or there or something like that. But new string brands are not something that they tend to engage in. So it was really, really awesome for them to throw their support behind us. And I appreciate that 
so much. So if you're shopping at Sweetwater, especially if you're using the Tone Mob affiliate links, go ahead and uh, throw a set of strings in there, and I and the team would massively appreciate that. Also, I'm very, very close to 200 reviews and ratings on Apple, I almost said iTunes, it hasn't been iTunes for a while, on Apple Podcasts. So if you are over there listening on Apple, if you could please throw me a five-star and drop me a nice review, I would really appreciate that. In fact, anywhere you're listening to this, if they have the ability to drop a rating or a review, please do that. It really, really helps. It helps people know that, hey, there are people that actually listen to this show because for some reason, our weird lizard brains need like this social proof. They, You go over to a show, you see that it's not got any reviews or doesn't have very many reviews, and you're like, huh, does anybody even listen to this? And if nobody else does, why would I? I hate to say it, but it's real. It's true. So if you could throw a review my way, that would be massively helpful. Also, don't forget... There are video episodes now on YouTube. I'm not going back and publishing everything, but I am publishing the videos moving forward. So if you want to watch Chris and I talk about this, you can go over to YouTube and check it out there as well. Wow, there is so much more to talk about, but I have already wasted four, almost five minutes talking about stuff when you came to hear me talk to Chris. So I'm going to shut up so I can start talking now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Mr. Chris Shiflett of the Foo Fighters and so many other things. Like, we're going to talk about all that. Awesome. I talked to him a, a, a week ago on Chasing Tone, and now we're here doing this, so pretty stoked about it. Yeah, epic. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. It's funny, I, I didn't actually, <laughs> I didn't realize that it was you doing this one as well. So it's awesome. So it's like we already have a rapport. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. I, meant to, I meant to tell you when, you know, when we got done recording and then Brian accidentally ended the call before I got a chance to. And so I was like, oh, I was right like oh, by the way, it's going to be me. And uh, so. <laughs> I will tell you, Brian was kind enough. He sent me a, a nice box of pedals after that last interview. So I'm going to be working my way through some some new tones. There you go. There you go. I, you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I have learned um, in doing some of these more guitar centric and and um, and like tone and gear pedals, guitar, all that. Uh, these, some podcasts and stuff that have been more sort of uh, centered around that. Um, I've learned a valuable lesson, and that is when you post this stuff on social media, people get really mad at you. They do. Over, yeah. over your, it's weird, right? Have you mm -hmm. seen that too? Oh, oh. I mean, that's, you know, most of what I do. People get so upset about things. And <laughs> you have to, I sometimes have to be like, guys, you, you know, we're talking about toys for guitar players, right? Right. And that's also, like, I, so I just wanted, yeah, I want to acknowledge that in this interview and also uh, just point out, I am not an expert in any of this stuff. I'm just another guitar player messing around with pedals. Sometimes I get the, the order wrong on my pedal board. Sometimes I might like a pedal that you hate. You know right. what I mean? It's just a, these are just kind of opinions. You know, I'm not like uh, 
trying to suggest you got to do it the way I do it or my way is the right way or you know what I mean it is really funny though like I've noticed that like people get it's almost like um it's like sports or something you know what I mean it's like <laughs> it's weird it's, it's, it's it generates a, a strange and it's not most people of course most people are like oh cool but like you know you get that handful of comments on your on your Instagram feed like what are you talking about that's gonna throw your whole rig out of phase idiot. right Right. Or like, I tried that overdrive and it sounded terrible. And I'm like, yeah. oh, but that doesn't matter at, at all. Like one of my friends is Brian Fallon from the Gaslight Anthem. And everything that he picks, I can't make sound good at all. Like almost every part of his rig, I'm like, oh, I tried that and it didn't sound good. But I listen yeah. to him play it. It sounds fantastic. Sounds great. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, so who am I to say? I'm like, I, I thought that wasn't a very good overdrive. But guess what? I'm wrong because you sound great playing it. Yeah. So. And it really is. I mean, these these things are really it's so individual and, you know, at times genre specific and and, um, you know, and let's not forget your tones really in your hands. It's in your hands and in your pedals. That's, That's where all right. the tone is. Yeah. yeah. I just realized what hat I was wearing when I said that. That's funny. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. I was like, wait a minute. Does does he get a, a like a piece of your podcast revenue? Because you are hyping no. Fallon today, man. No, 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 he doesn't. <laughs> okay maybe he does maybe he does i don't yeah. know but uh yeah so we've done a few other uh podcasts i saw you did my friend uh chris's from uh, that one time on tour you're hitting the podcast circuit yeah. man you're really yeah. going for it been doing a lot of them yeah it's fun yeah. it's re i really enjoy you know i've done my own podcast for so long that i love being a guest on other people's podcasts because i just i can just show up at you know 10 a.m and turn my computer on and i don't have to think about getting <laughs> organizing questions or you know what i mean there's no mm -hmm. homework you just show up it's you all on you it. buddy well i wanted to actually to talk to you about your podcast because i'm a big fan of it you introduced me to a ton of artists and also one of my favorite podcasts cocaine and rhinestones oh, i yeah. i wouldn't have found that without listening to your show oh cool what made you want to start your podcast I mean, I started around a rec like I was putting out a record. And so really, that was sort of the gist of it was just to have a, a way to promote the record that I was putting out at that time. That was back in like 2013. Um, and then I just discovered after doing a few of them that, that I enjoyed it. Uh, and I dip in and out of it. You know, it's it's a it's a one man show. So there are points where I just get too busy with other stuff and uh, and I'll let it sit kind of dormant. I've been kind of on hiatus, you know, most of this year since the spring. But um, but I've just started working on lining up some fresh interviews. So I'm going to I've gotten a bunch of good pitches um, in the in recent months. So I'm going to I'm following up on some of those and I'm going to I'm going to have some fresh episodes here pretty soon. That's super cool. And yeah. you're a very, you know, for a guy who I don't think people think of as an interviewer, you're a great interviewer. You're very oh, responsive you. and you you, you ask the questions that I want to hear answers to yeah. oftentimes. So it's well, really awesome. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. You know, but when I started, I'd never interviewed anybody and I was terrible um, at it. I just kind of always went from the viewpoint of like, how would I want to be interviewed? You know? Mm hmm. Um, because, you know, as a musician, you, you wind up, if you're lucky and you get to put out records and, and do that whole thing, you wind up being asked pretty much the same, like handful of questions forever by yep. journalists, you know what I mean? And, and most, most journos are not, you know, what we are, which is like guitar player, 
hyper obsessed music fans that want to know all these details about, you know, the, the gear and the songwriting and process and all that, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I just try, always try to go at it from more of like, you know, from the idea of like, what would I want somebody to ask me, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I always just tried to make it a conversation, you know, that's, yeah. I just want to talk and, and the, my favorite podcasts are always the ones where I'm a fly on the wall, you know, totally. listening to the other people have this conversation and learning yeah. things and in, in a really natural way, you know, you yeah. learn about people. Sorry. You probably hear a winding machine back there. For all the listeners, I'm at the Stringjoy Factory recording this episode, so oh, it's wow. a little different than the normal, the normal episode. But wait, so you're part of a company that makes strings? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, I had heard years ago. See, maybe you can clear this up. I heard that there were like two companies that actually made strings in this world, and that all the brands are just just use those two companies or some something something like that. Is there any truth to that? Really? So that is not true, uh, okay. but it's sort of true in that there are way more string brands than there are string manufacturers, mm. like like way more. Right. But there are around most of the companies and this. I don't want to say this across the board because there are companies in other places doing decent work and or even really great work. But most of the high quality manufacturers are based in the U.S., Okay. And so in the United States, there's around a dozen or so actually manufacturing strings. Uh, and okay. so there, uh, I believe actually my partner Scott has like made a, he maybe it's published it, maybe it's not out yet, a blog post about this topic because we get that all the time. Yeah. So we're probably the newest manufacturer, I think. We've been making our own stuff. Uh, I don't, I don't remember exactly when we started, but probably at least five-ish years, somewhere in that ballpark. And um, do you manufacture for other brands or we just don't. for yourselves? We okay. don't. We've gotten asked to do it for some other brands, um, including one of the larger brands. Um, there's there's one large brand. I don't want to like throw people under the bus or anything. And it's not a bad thing. White labeling is not a bad thing. It's just a thing. Um, yeah. There's one major, major brand in the U.S. that doesn't manufacture for their own or their, themselves, and they uh, hit us up. But we just didn't have the capacity. I mean, we, we're basically selling everything we can make currently. So right. at some point, maybe we will, I, but I don't see a, in the near future that being a possibility. Um, but never say never, of course. Interesting. So this this yeah. would be a prime time for me to acknowledge that I've been a long time Dadario user. Just throwing I, that out there. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And of course, they are the biggest. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. They're the biggest right. manufacturer in the world, I believe, of strings. Oh, wow. I'm ninety. I'm fairly fairly confident in saying they're the biggest in the world. And they, I, I take they back what I said earlier about your tone being all in your hands. It's of course in your strings. And just <laughs> there you go. I have to edit this part out anyway. Uh, <laughs> but no, they, they, they honestly, they do a great job. And, and we've pointed people to them for things that we don't do. But Scott and I were just talking about that literally right before this. There's something somebody wanted and we're like, we don't do that. Get mm. it from Dodario, you know? Right. So Are you, do you guys, um, I'm not I'm in the, you know, I'm not actually, I haven't played your strings. So like, is there, do you guys have a specific focus? Uh, well, we want to do everything, but 
you know, we're primarily electric guitarists. Oh, so okay. yeah, obviously that's the main thing. We actually started as a custom string. This has just turned into a big commercial. Uh, we started, <laughs> we okay, started, man. we yeah. started as a custom shop. That was our origins. So Scott's upset. The listeners have heard this, but you haven't, uh, the, the origin story is Scott was buying sets of strings and combining them together into different things for different purposes for years and years. And he was just doing that on his own. And he was like, this is so wasteful. Mm. Why isn't there a company I can just go order what I want? And so he decided, how about I make that company? So he did. And that was at the time we were getting them from several suppliers. And sometimes there was like, oh, we like the plain strings from these people and the wine with the wound strings from these people and mm. putting it all together. Yeah. And uh, that's where our 10 to 48 set came from. Okay. And, and so once we started doing that, we realized how picky we were. And eventually one of our manufacturers got so tired of us. He just said, I'm going to sell you these machines, these two machines and never talk to me again. And, <laughs> and so that was, that was, I think five ish years ago. Um, and yeah, that's the, that's the nutshell version. So custom stuff is where we started, but now we've just really, really focused on being crazy about quality and trying to make the absolute best stuff we can. That's really all it is. As an aside to the string conversation, I have a giant box at my studio where I keep all my strings. But really what it is, is it's it's like a giant box of uh, string packs that I've taken one or two strings out of. <laughs> yeah, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like, yes. <laughs> so, somebody needs to come up with a good yeah. way of organizing that. Because I think that's like every guitar player probably has that somewhere in their house, you know? It's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's just a, a bunch of packs with all the G strings and B strings missing, you know, yep. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that is, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because some people are like, oh, you're you know, you're you own a string company. You probably have unlimited fresh strings. And I'm like, I don't like changing my strings any more than anybody else does. So, no, I right. procrastinate just as much as everybody else. So. Yeah. But yeah. So I break them and yeah, end up with sets exactly like what you're describing. Yeah. So we end up sending ours to uh, our scrap here because obviously we end up with a lot of scrap when you're oh. starting and finishing, you know, setting up machines and whatever. We send them to a company here in Nashville that, called Strings for Hope and they take them and turn them into jewelry and their emphasis oh, cool. on helping women that have been in like abusive situations and things like that. So it's oh, pretty, pretty cool that there's an option for those old use sets of Strings for Hope if if you're listening. Yeah, uh, send, I should send, send your old strings there. there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Those, yeah. They could always use it, but great, great people. Cool. Uh, but anyway, that was, yeah, that was a string joy commercial section of this. Uh, <laughs> Scott, I'm going to be expecting a healthy check this, this month. Yes, yes. But um, so we talked a lot on Chasing Tone about the the guitar rig and how it's evolved over the years and and all that kind of stuff. But more what I would like to dive into here is is you and like we we dabbled into the songwriting stuff towards the end of the chasing tone podcast people can go listen to that if they want but what i've wondered is you know how has your approach to songwriting changed over the years because you've you've been in so many different projects and now you're largely driving your solo records but back when you were in no use for a name which i'm a huge fan of by the way so uh oh, right on you know 
I imagine the processes look different band to band and project to project. Sure. So how does that vary? Sure. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X. And all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my pocky? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. Yeah, I mean it's 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 different with every songwriter, you know, and like and most of the bands that I've been in that that people um know, are you know know me from like Foo Fighters or No Use for Name or certainly the Gimme Gimmies, which was all cover songs. But right. in you know, in in those bands, like I'm not the songwriter. I wasn't the songwriter in No Use for Name and I'm not the songwriter in the Foo Fighters, you know what I mean? So I feel like I've been lucky to get to work with people over the years like Dave and and, and Tony and and uh, and other folks who are really great songwriters. Um and, and, you know, you just, from years of being intimately working with these, with, with folks, you sort of see what they do and kind of what, where they put their emphasis and, and what they, what they think about, like, you know, with Tony was all about the melody, you know, so he would bring oh. in songs that were pretty done, you know, but, um, but then we would all kind of have a hand in, in arranging them. Like I remember, and I only made two records with no use, um, but my memory of those records was like he would bring in demos, you know, he'd like make a, a, a four track demo. I mean, it's not unlike what Dave does, you know, it's like Dave usually makes a, makes a recording that's kind of the starting point, And then we all kind of learn it and it winds up going, going wherever it goes. Um, but yeah, that coupled with, you know, all sorts of things, you know, I, I kind of started, it was really from my time in no use was really inspired me to even start writing songs. I really didn't write songs prior to that. Okay. So that kind of, uh, got me thinking about that side of, of, of the whole thing. You know, I was really just, I don't know. I loved playing guitar. I was never very studious with anything. Um, I just loved being in, a, in bands. And so that was always, I was just always the guitar player, you know, 
And mm-hmm. I loved it. And then it was around the time I was in no use that it, that I kind of got inspired to kind of start to write. And then for a long time, I feel like I just kind of wrote lyrics as an afterthought just because you had to have some lyrics. But I didn't really put a lot of emphasis, emphasis into that. And certainly over the years, that's I've put more work into, into that side of it. But it's always it always starts by noodling around on a guitar, you know, and you, and you, you hear a little melody in your head or maybe it's a melody with a with a with a phrase and that becomes the chorus or something and or you come up with a little riff that sounds good and um uh yeah and also like the you know thinking about like drum grooves and stuff and how much that can really impact you know how people hear your your riff you know Mm -hmm. um I don't know. It's different every time, but but it's usually starts probably with me and an acoustic guitar sitting on my couch watching TV, just noodling and then like going like, "Ooh, what's that? And I grab my phone and record it and then flesh <laughs> it out at a later date. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how technology has changed our processes. We all pretty much use our phone in some capacity in the songwriting. I haven't talked to anybody in the last, I don't know, eight years that hasn't said, oh, yeah, I put the note in my phone or I use the voice memo to just quickly log that idea. And I know a hundred percent that I've caught a lot of melodies, a lot of riffs, just like, Oh, I don't have anything to rec- Oh, I got my phone. Let me just get this real quick. So I don't forget sure. it to the point where I actually recorded something on my phone. And I thought, well, you know, I listening back, it was on a resonator guitar. And I, I thought this doesn't sound too bad. Let me put it in the DAW and see what happens. Yeah, and I put yeah. it in the DAW, and then it became the core of the song. Like the mic'd up yeah. reson- phone recording at resonator guitar is like the main focal point of that song, which is so weird to think about. When because when I was recording, you know, when I was younger, I, I had all these fantasies of having this big epic recording studio with all the 1176s and all the api and all the blah 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 and i was like because that's what you got to have to make a record right that's just not the case anymore yeah i mean you still have to have somebody or or you have to know how to use it that's my problem i don't know how to use it (laughs) the technology (laughs) to make anything sound good but um but yeah i know i know what you mean i mean certainly you could you know you could make an album with what we've got right here you know easy Mm -hmm. your laptop and a mic and you're off to the races but um yeah it's it's really interesting with that like uh i because i made i've got a new record coming out here pretty soon that uh jaron from cadillac three produced and we we've been working on it kind of chipping away uh at it for a little while and last summer summer 2021 I was up in Santa Barbara quarantining because I had COVID. And one of the songs that we had recorded, um, he wanted me to record an acoustic guitar thing in the in the guitar solo. And I was, you know, I was nowhere near a, a recording studio or anything and, and didn't have any gear with me. So I just recorded it. He said, just record it on your iPhone. Send it to me. So I recorded it on my iPhone, sent him that, and that became the guitar solo in the song. Um, wow that, yeah and that like, actual listen, recording yeah that actual he just popped it in there and and you know put a little put a little uh you know a little razzle dazzle on it and that became the thing and, <laughs> and it's and it's cool because it's got a vibe you know it definitely like has a vibe like it's like a choice you wouldn't have made if you're sitting in a in a beautiful studio you no, know what i mean absolutely like, not and 
And and we could have redone it, but we didn't need to. It sounded great. It was totally cool. So yeah, I mean that's it's it's uh I think that kind of thing happens a lot nowadays. You know, and I, this kind of goes around to podcasting too because I I try to have absolutely the best audio quality I can. You know, we we all do. We try to make it as listenable as possible. But right now you might be hearing a machine in the background. Uh sometimes you got to adapt to the environment and the the my some of my favorite episodes are actually ones that I recorded in the back of vans or buses yeah. with my iPhone, and th- and that's that's all I had. That's all I. I'm like I'm in this situation. I'm talking to this person. I have a podcast. They're willing to do it. We have an hour or two. I'm not going to drive home and get like my full rig. I'm just going to use what I have. And listening back, you know, it takes some massaging. It takes some working. Sometimes by me. Sometimes by Nick. Shout out Nick for editing this podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, but I listen back to those and some of those are my favorite episode because it captures the environment that you're in and it's not necessarily the best sound quality, but as long as you can hear what everybody's saying, the, the people tapping on the van saying, Hey, time for sound check and all that, like adds to it to me, you know, I don't know if I want every episode to be that way, but those are my favorite episodes ultimately. Yeah, the only thing that drives me nuts on a podcast is when the two people talking have really different level microphones to where when one person talks, you have to crank it up to hear it. And then when the next person talks, you're like, whoa, you got to, you know, roll the volume up. Mm -hmm. Uh, That drives me insane. But but it's funny because my I um, I uh, I have this little studio not too far from where I live. And when I rented it and it's just like a it's, you know, I call it a studio. It's just a room that I stuck a bunch of gear in um in a kind of industrial part of town so you can make a racket but what i didn't realize when i rented it is i'm literally right next to like uh, um like a garbage truck depot oh so all day long giant garbage trucks are rolling in and out of there and it's like it's like you know rattles the windows and like you so in every interview since i've rented rented this place you just hear garbage trucks drive by throughout <laughs> the whole thing there's nothing you can do about it yeah that's oh man that that's taken me back so when i started this show i recorded it on my iphone using what was new at the time was recording remote that was not a thing in 2014 2015 that people had heard of and so there was an app called ringer that i used to use for years and it was literally like me with my iphone earbuds and i was recording it at my my day job at the time and trains are going by and you know there's all kinds of weird sounds but like it's some it's just you gotta you gotta use what you have and just kind of roll with it you know totally i mean how did you put records one of the first ones that was that i was saying how do you put records out back in the day they just diy man did what yeah did it yourself one of of the first interviews i ever did was nick from um from the hives you know guitar Mm -hmm. player and he was how do we we did it over Skype, um, which was real glitchy. That was like in 2013. And he was at a festival somewhere in Europe. So like, you know, those like are structured. He's like probably in like a tent or a porta cabin or something trying to do it. And you just hear like just a, the racket of the festival. You know what I mean? But it's like, who cares? It adds to the vibe. It's cool. Yeah. As long as you can hear it. That's all that matters. And yeah. yeah. And now, I mean, it's so funny because over lockdown, everybody was, you know, having Zoom meetings and everything. And prior to lockdown, 
almost every single guest, I'd have to give them the rundown of here's how you do it. Here's how you record. Here's what what this is going to look like. Here's what we do if we get disconnected, blah, blah, blah. And I've like never had to give that anymore. It's just yeah. everybody after that happened, everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know how this yeah. works, you know, totally. Yeah. yeah, it's wild. It's wild. So I have another question for you. I have a friend uh, named Dewey. Actually, he's the guy who does this podcast on my sweatshirt, yeah. um, which is wearing everybody's clothes today. Um, he uh, used to play in a band called Portugal, the man, which a lot of people are familiar with. Sure. Uh, he, and he is now more known for his podcast because he's been out of the band for a long time. And he was always telling me stories about the craziest things, you know, he's gotten to experience. He, he would have thought that he got to experience them as a musician. Instead, he's experienced them as a podcaster. Hmm. You, you have done both. Now you're playing in one of the biggest bands in the world. So it's a little bit different situation, but have there been any situations through podcasting? You're like, huh, never thought I would have got to talk to this person. I mean, a bunch. Yeah, certainly. Um, a bunch of the interviews that I've that I've gotten to do over the years uh, tick that box, you know, Merle Haggard and oh, Dwight Yoakam and um, oh god, I, I mean, so many. Like even like when I interviewed Mike Ness, like that was the first time I, I toured in various bands, um, opening for Social Distortion. Like the first time I opened for Social Social Distortion was like in 1990. And I was such a big fan that like I have a picture of me and Mike from back then and then in various other things, you know, either on the Warp Tour or even just opening for for Social D um, back before I was in Foo Fighters. And then Social D has come out on tour with us. So I've been around Mike a bunch of times over the years, but that was the first time I ever got to sit down and have a long conversation with him. Wow. Oops, sorry. Hold on one sec. No worries. Yeah, not very pro. To be in the room with your phone. Oh, man. Yeah, That's no. a landline. I haven't seen one of those in ages. <laughs> I, can turn my, I can turn my cell phone off, but my landline just still rings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anyway, so, um, so yeah, it's so many. You know, I, I mean, I, I would say I probably, on the whole, had many, many more crazy experiences being uh, in a band yeah. over the years. Um, and those kind of pinch me moments where you can't believe, you know, you meeting somebody or playing at this venue or on this stage or whatever, you know, just, just crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the podcast is, is I've gotten to, to meet so many people through it that I just probably would have never crossed paths with, you know, yeah. both famous and not famous, you know, people putting out their first record and, you know, legends that have been making records for 50 years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, it's, that's, I'm always having, I'm having one right now. Like this is a, this is awesome for me. I've been a fan for a long time. So, well, we've, but we've been friends since last week. So, you know what I mean? This is old hat. This is true. This is true. This is, I'm not even phased anymore. It's all, yeah. Oh yeah. My, my friend, Chris from the Foo Fighters, you know, it's fine. That's right. If we, if we do another interview, you're going to be bored. Like, Oh God, this guy again. I I can't believe I I have to talk to him again. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. No, not at all. <laughs> so you you kind of you touched on it there. You've had crazier experiences experiences in the band. What's the first one that comes to mind that you're like really astonished by? I mean, the first one was my first audition. You know what I mean? Walking mm-hmm. into the room, I'd never met Dave or or Nate or Taylor. You know, um, and um, yeah, it was mind blowing. You know, just to be in a room with those guys and with my guitar in my hand. You know. 
was incredible. But right away, we, you know, when I joined the Foo Fighters, it was it was right before the third record came out. So the third record had been made, but it wasn't released yet. And so I got to join the band for for what you call the promo tour, where we went out. It wasn't like a normal tour. You just you're just traveling around the world doing interviews and playing on TV shows and like going to radio stations and just doing all that that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was it was amazing. You know, like just all of a sudden in this, it, I don't I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a dream come true that all of a sudden you're just living at a million miles an hour and you know, getting to know the guys in the band and everybody on the crew and the whole situation was just like, yeah, it was, it was pretty overwhelming. Hey, hold on one sec because yeah, my no cat worries. is banging at the door. Okay. Bones, cats, it's just a mess around here. I love it. I love it. Uh, come on in, buddy. Come on in. Oh, boy. I'm in the part of my house where we keep our uh, the cat food. Ah, I see. And so, you know, if I'm in here for too long with the door closed, these guys start to get restless. They're like, hey, obviously I'm malnourished. Look at me. I need food. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I like to play Fender Telecasters. That's what she's trying to say. (laughs) What's the cat's name? That's Gogo. Hi, Gogo. How's it going? Yeah. Yeah. We have like an animal farm around here these days. (laughs) Nice. Well, uh, I was going to ask you right before that, I actually should know the answer to this question, and I don't. I just know that you got into the Foo Fighters. I don't know how that happened. How did you even get that audition? Yeah, it was um, a a friend of mine um, knew a a woman that, uh, a lawyer that worked at the same law firm as as Foo Fighters lawyer, and and was able to get my name basically thrown in the hat. Um, and it was just, it was just that, you know, it was just that, like, I just went in cold and, and, um, and audition and then came back a week later, auditioned again. And then it was off to the races. Wow. What did the audition yeah. itself look like? What did you do in the audition? First one was, uh, was, was pretty brief. It was, if, if it was even an hour, you know, I'd, Maybe it was an hour. Um, and we played like three or four songs, maybe a couple more, and kind of just talked a little bit. And and then and they were in the middle of doing like a bunch of auditions that week. So it was sort of like you had to keep it moving. So that, that was my slot. And then they called me a week later and said, come down again. And, and that audition was longer. We played a lot more songs. Um, and then they officially told me I got the gig the next day. So yeah, wow, it was it was, it was awesome. Yeah. That had to be like extremely surreal. Like I, oh yeah, I, I pinch mean, me. Like am I totally. awake right now? This is wild. Yeah, yeah. no, it was, uh, it was, it was. Uh, like I said, it was really a dream come true. You know, there was there really no band uh, on the planet at that point that I would have preferred to be in. You know, I mean, at any point really right at any point yeah but certainly right then you know i was just like they were like my favorite you know i mean it was mm-hmm. so, so yeah it was great now now i'm sorry now the other cat seems to be fighting at the door <laughs> hold on let's they get they get jealous they're like hey i need attention yes okay okay here we go come on you can come in too We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. 
Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Oh, yeah, this is the other one. Oh, hello. This Who are we is, talking to is, now? This is Whiskey. Oh, ooh, I like that. Whiskey. Yeah. Whiskey and Go-Go. Go-Go. Uh-huh. I yeah. see where you, what you're doing yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. What kind of guitar does Whiskey like? Uh, he's more of a Les Paul man. Okay. <laughs> I, I got that yeah. vibe from him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's the big one. He's um, these cats are insane. They eat more than any other cats I've ever seen, and they're both big. They or they look gigantic. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you could see what I see, they're like fighting on the on the floor in front of me in my office right now. <laughs> they're like, no, you're the big one. No, I'm the yeah. Big one. <laughs> yeah. No, t- yeah. Telecasters are better. No, no, Les Pauls are better. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're known for the Telecaster. We talked about that pretty extensively, uh, yeah. In the uh, in the interview, and I I was thinking at the time, but we segued into something else. You, you've got to have other favorites, though. Oh, sure. I mean, my first real guitar, my first guitar I ever got. I don't remember if we talked about this on the other podcast or not, but my first guitar I ever got. Well, the first guitar I started to learn guitar on was my brother Mike's Epiphone acoustic, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would take that to my guitar lessons. And then at some point, uh, after I'd been taking lessons for a minute, my mom bought me a, a Takamini, which was like a, it was like a explorer shape, you know, but small. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I played that for a couple of years. And then a kid at my school, this guy, Jay Duff, um, who had a half pipe in his backyard that we used to go skate all the time. He had a, a Les Paul that he was selling. So I sold my Takamini and my mom covered the rest and I bought that off him. And that was in 10th grade. And that was really the only guitar I had until like maybe halfway through my time in No Use for a Name. I got another Les Paul 
Okay. Um, so yep. then I had two. So I really like, I was so less Paul centric, you know, and, and, and Gibson centric for so long. Cause you know, humbuckers and rock and roll, it's like kind of, you know, go together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I just, that, you know, that was the only guitar I had. So I just played that to death. And even like, you know, when I first joined Foo Fighters, that was still that black Les Paul that I bought off Jay in 10th grade was still my main guitar for the longest time. Um, and I am proud to say that it currently sits in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Whoa, no when, way. I mean, and I don't mean this to be like boastful or whatever, but it, it does make me really happy. Like when when that whole thing went down, uh, our management said, oh, you know, you got to pull a guitar to send. You know, they'll have like an exhibit or whatever. And I was like, I, I don't even need to think about it. Like I'm, I'm putting that one in there. It's I don't take it on the road anymore. It sits in my garage. I just don't want to risk anything ever happening to it because out of any guitar I have, that that one has the most sentimental value. It's like every every chip all over it, all the wear and tear on the neck, all of it was done. I did that, you know. Mm-hmm. I relicked it by years and years of, you know, punk rock shows and sweaty van tours and whatever, you know, playing yeah. in dive bars. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That- I mean, that's got to be surreal in and of itself. Like, just to think, I have a guitar in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If you had told 16-year-old Chris that, what would he have said? I, I mean, the, those types of things, all that kind of stuff. It's like you don't even really think about it when you're a kid. It's just never didn't even, it wasn't part of my dream, you know? Right. Because, uh, you know, the only thing I thought, I just wanted to be on stage somewhere playing loud rock and roll music you know it was mm-hmm. like pretty much that was that was it i didn't really fantasize much beyond that yeah you know yeah but i think that's what's cool though is that you're a great example of what happens when you do chase it down because i think it's more common nowadays to hear the message of like you should try to pursue something that you're interested in you should try to go after something you care about that's something that's talked about way more on podcasts and on the internet in general. That message is out there more. Back when you were growing up, and even when I was growing up, it was not that wasn't the message. The message was go to college, get a job that you can tolerate, retire when you're 60 or 70, and then you can live life. Not yeah. live your life and just live your life. You know? It's, well, you it's, know, it's, it's, I know what you mean, but it's really tough. Like I have kids, I have three boys and my oldest is in college now and my other two are in high school. And it's like, you know, it's hard as a parent because you want your kid to have big dreams and everything, but it's, but you also want them to be safe. And you know right. what I mean? So it's just straight, you're trying to have that balance. Like, yeah, man, do what makes you happy, but make sure it pays well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. um, and that was the thing i mean i don't think i think kind of in the back of my mind i just always thought like you know i'm i'm gonna go for it and and but probably it won't work and probably at some point i'll have to you know come back down to earth or whatever i i don't know i like i can't even put myself in my own mindset at that age much because i don't I don't know. I, it, it's easy to look back when you've had some success and go like, yeah, I worked hard and I did this and it was all part of a big plan, but it wasn't. I made a bunch of dumbass mistakes in life. And, um, and you know, thankfully things kind of worked out. But, um, but not because I was like, you know, working hard on my craft. I don't know. I just love playing guitar and 
played in a series of bands and 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 one thing led to another i don't know i can't even i can't even work it out myself you know certainly <laughs> there's there's no path for anybody else to follow <laughs> you know what i mean no, no but at any point you could have said no you know sure and i you know i had those points so there were moments i remember there were moments throughout my young adult life that i that i did think about like you know maybe it's time to do something else i'm glad i didn't act on it really yeah yeah well i think that what i like to talk about on this show is it wasn't really possible even when i was growing up really but what's so amazing about the world that we're growing up in now is that you can kind of you can kind of do both to varying degrees you know you i had a full-time job when i started doing this and i really wanted to be able to do it all the time and be engrossed in music full time. But in my head, I was like, nah, I'm a mechanic. I'm never going to be doing anything but busting my knuckles on things, you know? Right. But if you, if you put in, you know, some work into things that you enjoy, you can actually, it's what's great about the internet is you can do it on the side until it doesn't have to be on the side anymore. You right. know? Right. And, and that and, just you know, wasn't an option I would say, before. You being a mechanic, that's like adds another extra thing for people who want to bring you out on their tour because the van breaks down. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good skill set to have. Uh, now, as long as it's not uh, anything that was manufactured after 2015, I can probably handle it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember like when I was in no use, we bought this, um, we bought this used airport shuttle. It's a tour. Oh, wow. First we, first we had like a, um, like an econo line. Sure. Um, that had like these electric doors that opened up. I think it had been used maybe to pick up like, I, I, I'm not sure. It was furniture like, you know, or like something. Had, yeah. Something. Yeah. It had these like these electric doors and, and it was, you know, it was a Conaline, but it had like a pop top. It was a great little tour van, but we bought, it was getting older and we sold it. We sold it to the swing and udders. And I think maybe on the first time they took it out, the engine blew up and it died. So we sold them a lemon, but, um, but uh, uh, but thanks for taking that off our hands, boys. Um, <laughs> and, and then and then we and we bought a used airport shuttle, and it basically never worked. I mean, we took it maybe on one or two tours, and it would just break down over and over all tour long. And I remember the the last time we took it out, um, they drove up from San Jose. I was living in San Francisco. They drove up to San Francisco, picked me up at my apartment, and we were driving up north somewhere so we're going across the bay bridge and just the engine starts smoking it just dies like we haven't even gotten out we've just barely gotten out of the city you know what i mean oh, and man. it's already died yeah so um in our band at that time it was really rory was the only guy in the band that had like uh you know any idea how to like change the oil in a van or like pop the hood open and see what's going on so he it always fell to him sadly <laughs> yeah i've been that guy I, i've definitely been that guy not on tour really but in other situations where everyone's like what's a wrench i'm like oh boy here we go <laughs> you know we're gonna yeah. have to i'm gonna be under the van again i'm gonna be under yep. the tractor again i'm gonna be under yeah. the. oh i'm having flashbacks Woo. <laughs> so so here's one since you are like as veteran as it gets when it comes to touring now there's a lot of touring musicians or aspiring touring musicians that listen to this show. What are some like weird tips or tricks for the road that people haven't really thought of? Um, I'd say a good one is pack light. 
Um, I remember the very first tour I ever did, I brought like, you know, four pairs of shoes and three jackets and like, you know, I just brought like everything with me thinking, well, I'm, we're going to be in some snow and then we're going to be in, in this. And that was just a nightmare. I just brought way too much stuff. So yeah, pack light. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the other one I guess would be keep it light in the van. You gotta be able to hang with whoever you're on tour with uh in tight little spaces and you're probably not all going to be best friends so keep it light keep it light respect Don't... your area yeah and, and 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 clean up your zone man if you bring in your your you know mcdonald's happy meal and your bag of chips and your 32 ounce big gulp or whatever take that out of the van when, when <laughs> you get to the next stop right throw out your trash throw it out yeah 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 I'm, i've been in some interesting vans where i was like huh. yeah this is this is how we choose, huh? You didn't you didn't have to keep that wrapper there. I know you didn't have to. You know why? Because yeah. I could see a garbage can thirty feet away from this van. Yeah. I know you could throw it away. Well, it's, it's uh, funny on on van tours, like people tend to kind of pick out your spot, you know, and stick mm -hmm. to it. There's a funny thing that happens. I've seen this. I mean, it's pretty much like every tour you ever go on. People tend to like this is the part of the bench seat that I always sit on, and then that's where their little you know, they kind of build their little home in there, you know, right. stow yep. their things in different places. And so, yeah, you gotta, gotta be mindful of, uh, of everybody else. Shared space. One, one of the, uh, best tour hacks that I've ever heard. And I feel like I have to sit, bring it up every so often when this conversation comes along, because it's actually a theory that I had, even though I never went on tour and the band, uh, he is legend. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're pretty heavy rock and roll band they intentionally try to go to when they're scheduling their tour they try to make sure that there's several stops at koa campgrounds along oh, the way yeah. and so they you can go there you can crash for way cheaper than a hotel sure everybody can take a shower stretch out a little bit yeah and they're generally close ish to or at least on the way to the next town and yeah. I was like, man, why doesn't anybody else? I've never heard of anybody taking advantage of the KOA. So there's another one. Take you advantage know of the KOAs. When I interviewed Brent Cobb, he said that they do that a lot on their tours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, I've never done it myself, but yeah. How nice would that be? Oh. Just to kind of like, you could bring like your fishing pole and, you know, yeah. who knows? I yeah. mean, at least just get a little space for a little while. You totally <laughs> yeah because that's what that is definitely something you don't have on when you're touring on a budget you know you're sharing hotel rooms you're packed into a van yeah space yeah. is good it's it's a it's a rough it's a rough go of things i used sure. to you know what i used to love when i was in no use i would love when you would meet people let's say you're on tour and wherever you know you're on you're out in texas or somewhere and you meet some folks in Austin and then um, and then they'd be like, hey, we're going to the Dallas show, too. You know, you want to ride with us and you just kind of break away from the touring party for an afternoon mm -hmm. uh, with some locals that maybe take you to somewhere cool, you know, so they know a good place to go eat or whatever. Maybe know a cool thrift store or something, a cool record store, guitar shop. Um, and that that was always really fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's my some of that. I was going to say, that's my favorite thing to do when friends come through town. 
I love like when my touring friends are coming through town now because that didn't used to be a thing I could say. I didn't have touring friends, but now I got touring friends. Yeah. And when they come through Portland, I'm like, I'm your boy. I got wheels. I got multiple wheels. Like my yeah. wife and I will bring separate cars. We'll go. We'll we'll go all out. We'll hit all the pizza spots. We'll go nice. to everything. We'll do. That's yeah. like my favorite thing in the world to do is to show people the cool spots in town when they're coming. Yeah, through. it's great because then you get to you know. There's nothing better than 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 actually getting out and seeing everywhere that you go. You know, mm-hmm. which is which is really easy to not do. Like so for people that don't tour, it's surprisingly easy to kind of sleep through the day and um and and you know you wind up seeing a lot of hotels and 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 nightclubs and stuff but you can miss all the other stuff you know it's like for me that's like half the reason you want to be out on the road is to go see the sights and experience the local color you know absolutely the local cuisine especially that's the most important part oh Mm -hmm. yeah so we're gonna get in trouble with the managers if we don't uh actually backtrack a little bit and talk about sure we were supposed to talk about the new record which i heard the single off of it sounds awesome i'm i'm a big fan of your other solo stuff too so that didn't oh, come as much you. of a, a surprise to me uh you want to talk about that a little bit what did that process look like and when's it sure. coming out get hit, hit us with those details yeah so the stuff that's that i put out recently the two songs that i put out was that song long long year a few months ago and then i put out a song called uh, born and raised in mm-hmm. in september and those are from a recording session i did with vance powell producing um out out in nashville so those are those are just standalone tracks because around that same time i wound up starting a, a project where I, I made a whole record um with Jaron from Cadillac three producing. So that's a different thing that we're okay, going to start got putting, it. putting songs out in, I think January, somewhere around there, maybe end of January, something like that. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it had been a minute, you know, since I'd recorded any solo stuff. And so during the lockdown, you know, I was just writing a lot and started putting together plans to, to go record. And I had an idea about recording a bunch of different songs with a bunch of different producers and just, kind of putting out single tracks here and there. And then when I when I went and, and recorded a couple tunes with Jaron, we just kept recording more songs and it just turned into a full length album. So that 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 idea just you know, I, I just didn't want <laughs> just didn't wind up doing it. So I might <laughs> still do that at some, you know, at some point or in some way. And I do like the idea of 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 you know, with with DSPs and everything. I like the idea of just being able to put out single tracks, you know, that aren't necessarily attached to a to a full length record. Yeah. Um, but I do have this full length record coming out, and it'll it'll be coming out. We'll be starting to put out tracks it, in the new year. So, so that uh, was uh, the product of maybe like four trips out to Nashville to record, and I would go out there and we record a few songs, and then I'd bring the stuff back to LA, and I'd record some extra guitar parts and maybe tweak on some of the vocals or something uh, back here. And we just kind of pass stuff back and forth until we got it where we, where we wanted it to be. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, I think the record came out great and uh, Jaron's an awesome producer and he's an awesome songwriter and really helped me a lot to get all these songs where they needed to be. And he put together an incredible crew of musicians that played on it and, and, um, and it's cool, man. I'm I'm really stoked. Can't wait for people to hear it. That is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I had gotten things a little bit mixed up. I thought these two singles were off of 
that, but I didn't realize well, there were two separate sessions. Yeah. Everybody thinks that because it's totally confusing. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the, of course you thought that because that would be the normal thing to do. You know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, I just, I had recorded those two songs with Vance and I just dug them and I just didn't want him to like sit there and not get put out. You know what I mean? And, and I also wanted to put them out myself cause I just wanted, I hadn't put out my own music in so long or any music in a minute that just wanted to get a sense of, of kind of how it all works nowadays with with mm-hmm. the DSPs and 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 doing it yourself and really being kind of hands on with with that side of it was super helpful and and then the you know the this record's coming out through a through a label so it'll be more like a traditional release but but I feel like that whole Got process it. helped me to kind of figure out like what would be some good things to to do and some things that we, maybe we don't need to do you know yeah yeah it is really interesting how that has changed you know over the years because I've I just put out my first solo thing last year and DistroKid supports this show. And so I kind of had to like talk to my guy over the like, how does this work? And it's like, it can't be this straightforward, can it? Yeah. Oh, it is. It, it actually kind of is. Like that's hard for me to get my mind around, even even still, that that's yeah, that that your average person has access to that kind of thing uh, yeah. as easily as they do, which is amazing, really. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. You know, um, it, as somebody that's been putting out records for a long time, that whole process has just changed so radically over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was really fun to do it. And, and, you know, you, you fill out like a pitch, you know, to try to get some playlisting and stuff and you just send it off and you're like, there's no like you don't actually communicate with with anybody. It either works or it doesn't. You know what I mean? Right, it's, it's right. really it's really strange. You know, it's really unlike kind of like everything else I've ever experienced in this industry. That's more like sort of personal relationship based. It seems to not have that component uh, nearly as much. You know. Well, you know what? You're you would be a, a good person to try this because I I did it, but I'm obviously not really known as a musician per se. I'm known as a podcaster and a gear person. And so when I, I've, I've had relationships with different record labels and different people over the years that were on labels. And I, I was like, Hey, look, podcasts and streaming, they're, they're the same thing. Basically there's just different places. And in Spotify's case, they're not even different places. It's literally the same place. I was like, what if you got, if you put it out, if you put out a record, as a podcast with a sponsor that you really liked and you know as a way to kind of help compensate for the streaming royalties or lack thereof mm. and and nobody i could get, couldn't get anybody to bite on it i really tried and then finally i was like you know what nobody else is gonna do it i'm gonna do it and so that's where i first put my record out was on this show really with a, with a sponsor and it was like wow i actually I never thought I would make two cents off of my music ever. And I actually made a little bit of money off of my music. Wow. And I'm you as a guy who has a podcast already and an established musician, you know, maybe that's a strategy worth exploring for you. I know that's really interesting. That is really interesting. I, and, I, and I hadn't thought of that at all. It did occur to me. How can I sync? How can I link my podcast up to my solo profile on the dsps to try to help you know 
Both. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. To help. So the, so the algorithm likes me more basically, but, um, but I haven't put any effort into that either. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how to do that either. That should be a thing that should be possible. Yeah. So, so many yeah. people have both these days. So it's, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, and I, again, I'm not an expert on this stuff and I just kind of follow it loosely like everybody else. And, and, um, so I don't know, uh, exactly how it all works, but like I, I played some guitar on, on this song that Hardy put together for his latest Hicks tape compilation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, and that was like a while ago and that, so it shows up like in my, say in my Spotify profile, you know what I mean? It's, that's like by far, it's got like millions of, of streams, you know what I mean? Whereas my solo music doesn't get anywhere near that. And I think that really helped, like, you know, make the algorithm like me more or something. It and does. gave me some yep. good playlisting on, on on the first track that I put out. I got into some good playlists that really helped move the needle in a huge way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I and mean, it seems like no, like nobody ever says like you don't have any like feedback to confirm that. But it's got to help, right? Well, it has to because essentially, you know, your contribution to that is being seen by people who wouldn't have otherwise seen it because sure. just because of the nature of how they do the split. I'm not an expert either. I've done a little bit of digging into this, but yeah, yeah it absolutely. That's why so many people are doing collaborations. I even got an article sent to me the other day talking about how featuring is kind of dead. Like you still feature technically, but they'll yeah. call it like a, a collab or a co-write or, you know, they don't call uh, it. They rarely call it a feature e anymore. Like sometimes interesting, but yeah. not very often. And it's partially because of that, because it's mutually beneficial to both parties to so that it hits both places, basically. So there's definitely right. some, you're onto something there. There's definitely something okay. to that. Well, Beyonce, if you're listening, I'm available for some guitar work. You know what I'm saying? Beyonce, if you're listening, let's, I'm available. Let's get for those algorithms cooking. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, we're getting down to the uh, last few minutes of the podcast, and I have a couple classic questions I like to get into to wrap this thing up. But before I do that, I like to give the guests the stage. You know, you can say anything uh -oh. you want to say to a couple thousand people, and okay, shout out your grandma or whatever you want to do. Yeah, well, if anybody out there listening is uh, out here on the West Coast, I've got a bunch of shows coming up, um, opening a bunch of shows in December for Social D, and then doing a few of my own in Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz, Venice, Yucca Valley, and I think that's all of them. Is that all of them? Anyway, go to my website, chrisshifflettmusic.com. Check it out, or you can there you, go. you know look look me up on social media, or whatever. But all that stuff is is out there in December, so I'm going to be doing some shows. Sweet, nice. And then, of course, I guess I should use this time to shamelessly plug my record that we mentioned, which will be coming out soon-ish, soon-ish, soon-ish soon -ish. to a podcast yeah. near you. Oh no, yeah, uh, that's right, that's right, <laughs> that's right. Revolutionizing the music industry. You heard it here first. I think I think if Taylor Swift would do it, it literally would. But me, I'm not enough to move the needle. So yeah, well, but, hey, yeah. it's got to start somewhere, babe. That's true. That's true. All right, classic questions. Here we go. First one: What is your favorite boss pedal? Ooh, favorite boss pedal. 
I mean, honestly, the one I've probably used more than any other over the years is the tuner. Oh, yeah. Pretty common you know answer. I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like it doesn't do anything funny to your tone, but it's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now on my board, I have a, um, uh, one of the classic chorus pedal, you know, the yeah. blue chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like uh, one of those Wasa craft ones. Yep. So it's even more, you know, just chorusy. In sure way absolutely it's got <laughs> sounds extra. great yeah i don't know what the difference is it just sounds like the chorus but uh but it's perfect you know i've for many years tried a bunch of different chorus options and weird stuff and boutique things and and uh and then that one was at our studio and i put it on my board i was like that's the sound right there yeah it is the chorus. A, yeah that is the classic chorus sound and it's it's wonderful it really is yeah yeah, yeah. all right final question this is one gets a little bit dicey, but what is your favorite kind of pizza? Ooh, God, if if guitar pedal amp questions upset the listeners, this one is is bound to it, ju- it generally some does. Feathers. Yeah. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Honestly, the pizza that I look for always first, any anywhere I go get a pizza, and this might offend you, is the Hawaiian pizza. Ah, I'm a little it bit. It is funny. my yeah. favorite, favorite pizza. Pineapple, love, Canadian bacon. Let's go. You love the pineapple. I can't see. I've I can understand people who like who like the Hawaiian pizza if they like pineapple. I'm the guy who doesn't like pineapple. I don't like pineapple on anything. Oh but, man. So, so well, I take that back. I like Al Pastor, and that requires pineapple. Oh yeah. But I don't yeah. want the, I don't want the chunks of pineapple. I understand it's okay. got to be marinated in the juice. I I get that, and it's wonderful. Yeah. But I don't want the chunks in there. It just yes, yeah. So that's good advice through life. I don't want the chunks in there. <laughs> you can take that anywhere, really. Yeah, um, and and now I have a title for this episode. <laughs> I don't want the chunks yeah, in there. There's a a pizza place that we um we had long established in our house that Friday night was pizza night, you know. Absolutely. We, yeah. We strayed a bit from that cuz when my kids were little it was it was pizza in a movie, you know. We would all watch whatever, you know, Harry Potter or whatever it was going to be. And um and so we still kind of even though my kids are a little older now and we don't do the the movie anymore. We still generally do Friday night pizza night and there's a place here in LA called like pit fire pizza or something like that it's pretty mm-hmm. good um and it's in our delivery range so we get from there a lot and they have one called like a like a honey bear or something like that and it's um i want to say it's like sausage and honey oh yeah and I like, like and little yeah. and little like peppers on there too that yeah. was that's pretty good honey on your pizza yum it's it, it's surprisingly good the first time i had it was in new york city and i was like i don't know about this and i ate it Nope, I was wrong. It's delicious. Yeah, a little bit of honey on the pizza, especially with some heat. Look, yeah. I, I mean, there's you can't you can't compare to a New York pizza. It's just that's the best in the world. We all know it. Let's so let's just acknowledge that. It's, it's but true. I am totally it's, down and have been since this started popping up with these sort of modern fancy pants pizza, the smaller single serving um mozza You know, it's like eating like a loaf of bread with some stuff on top. You know that, that I love that stuff. Me too. Love it. Yep. Yeah. Like an Italian, like wood fired style thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The whole thing. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Give it, give it to me. Yeah. I'll make, you know, I got a pizza stone years ago and, and my friend turned me on to this place here in LA. That's like an Italian import 
shop and you can go there and get ready-made dough and all like the Italian import cheeses and meats and sauces and things. It's great. Mm -hmm. So every now and again, I'll head over there and get a bunch of that stuff and we'll make pizzas here at home. And it works really well. I do it on my barbecue. I don't have like a pizza oven or, or anything, but I yeah. stick the pizza stone on my barbecue and crank that thing as just on high, you know, yeah. and let it really get hot as it's just crazy hot. And that, that works pretty good. Yeah. I've done that it's a before, mess, but it's great. It, it, it works really well. It, yeah. You might look into a, you might look into a uni. I don't know if you've seen one of those, but they're Is like, that a, like a mini they're like, one or something. They're, they're like a, a small ish pizza. You can get them, you can get them big, but it's, they've got a pizza oven and you literally like fill the hopper up with pellets and you, it's, it's like having a legit actual small version of a pizza oven. It's not as expensive oh, wow. or as cumbersome as like having a brick one built, you know? Yeah. It's, pretty legit you should check it out yeah it's pretty cool it's tough you know i got a house full of like juicers that we don't use so i'm always a little like like i never got like the green egg smoker or anything because i was just afraid that it's just gonna sit there you know what i mean like i'll mm. use it once and then you know what i mean i got a whole house of stuff i used once yeah <laughs> i do too but i have a handful of them that have become staples so yeah yeah you know you, you gotta you gotta risk it sometimes i still yeah. haven't figured I have out what an i'm doing amazing with the <laughs> I've got this amazing contraption that you stick a potato in and then pull a handle and it makes perfectly cut French fries. What? And I think I've used it twice. Oh, well. But it's amazing. I mean, you know, if you were, if you really were into French fries, this thing would, you just keep it on your counter and use it all the time. But, you know, I just like, how often am I going to actually sit there and double deep fry French fries? That's you know the thing. I mean? And you got to double deep fry them. You got to so, double deep fry, which yeah. also is a colossal mess to clean yes, up. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You think people think making bacon's messy? Try double yeah. deep frying in your house. Get out. You of know that. how I make bacon? How do you make and bacon? It's my favorite way to make bacon. I bake it. I don't fry it. I bake it. I've done that. It works great. Yeah, it's absolutely works great. phenomenal. Yeah, way cooks less it, mess. It's like there's till way less mess, and it cooks it evenly instead. Of, like you ever notice when you like fry it on your stovetop? You're just like. It's like raw and burnt at the same time, <laughs> half the time. Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pop that in your oven, 350 degrees for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, depending on your oven. Perfect. It's, it is. It's a great way to do bacon. And now yeah. you have a cooking tip on this podcast. Look at that. That's right. And maybe <laughs> a new title. It's a great way to do bacon. It's a great way to do bacon. I don't know. Get the chunks <laughs> out of there. It's still pretty good. Like <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Well, dude, thank you so much for this. This was a blast. I really enjoyed this conversation, maybe even more than the first one, because I had you all to myself. Oh, right on. You know, yeah, because uh, we, yeah, we didn't have those other guys, you know, yeah. talking about Arsenal and pedals and God but, knows what yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we got to yeah. the we got to the meat of the conversation, which That's is right. meat, literally. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you. Well, thank you for, for having Chris. Me. Yep, absolutely. Welcome back anytime. Also, you just hit me up. Thank you. We'll do it. For Chris, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Really, 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 truly, go check out that Merle Haggard interview that he did. It's so good. Even if you don't really like country music, you got to check it out. It's so good. The Hag's a legend, and Chris had a great conversation with him. It's one of my favorite things ever. I've listened to it I don't even know how many times. Go check that out. And if you like this podcast and you want to support this podcast, you can go over to Patreon and do just that. 
For five bucks a month, you'll get extra bonus episodes coming to your ears every week. And for three bucks a month, if you just don't want to deal with ads, three bucks a month will take care of that for you. So you don't have to hear those pesky ads if you don't want to. And again, the video version is available on the old YouTubes. And I would appreciate a subscribe over there as well. And you know what? Even if you don't really do the whole video podcast thing like me, I don't I don't absorb podcasts that way. I got to get them watch time hours in. So if you would just, you know, let that play and just walk away from the computer, that's fine, too. Just play all those videos. It helps me out. I'm kind of joking, but kind of not, because uh, watch hours are the one thing I need to become monetized over there. And that would be extremely helpful. And it would give me the motivation to make more gear related videos. I have a lot of ideas, but sometimes the YouTube channel gets thrown to the back burner a little bit because, well, it doesn't actively support me in the same way that other avenues do. So it is a little bit challenging for me to get motivated there sometimes, but I am working on it. I've been much more active over there. I'm posting a lot of shorts and I've got some longer form content coming that I'm really excited about. And I think you're going to really enjoy that isn't just podcast stuff, some very, very goofy, interesting gear stuff. So anyway, I appreciate you taking the time and hanging out and being here. I love and appreciate you very much. Thank you so much for your support. If you could remember, throw a five star rate and review, all that good stuff. Share this with a friend and I'll stop talking so you can get on to something else. All right. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. there. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!